Sam Clovis. I know they'd appreciate your prayers. Um, some of you know Sam, but uh, a lot of struggles health-wise right now. I'm trying to get some answers for him. So, We are coming to the end of our journey in Jonah. Okay? And um, next Sunday will be interesting. Uh, that's going to kind of be my 4th of July message, even though it's going to be July 6th or something like that. Uh, when it falls on Friday, Thursday, Friday, it's always hard to figure out do you do it before or after, but I'm going to do it afterwards because I wanted to finish up Jonah. We are uh, coming to the end of uh, this book, and um, if you've been with us, you, you know the story. Chapter 1, God gives Jonah a very difficult command. I want you to go and preach to your enemies 500 miles away. I know they've done horrible things to your people, but I want you as God's prophet, as my prophet to Israel, I want you to go to your enemies and share uh, the message of repentance. And, and, and Jonah was, that troubled him because he wanted these, if he didn't preach it, God was going to wipe them out and their enemies were going to be gone and Israel was going to get a reprieve. But um, Jonah goes and heads down south and when he gets to the road, which turns left, he goes to Nineveh, turns right, he goes to Joppa, he goes to Joppa. He literally heads almost 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And you know the story, chapter 2, he's on a boat, storm comes up, he says the only way to save me is to throw me over, they throw him over. Finds himself in the belly of a fish, and everybody tries to, liberal Bible scholars try to discredit this book, but you need to understand Jesus Christ refers to the story of Jonah on two occasions, so I don't think you can discredit it. Um, so God prepares a great fish, the fish comes Swallows Jonah. Jonah finally prays, God, please deliver me, and I'll do what you want. God gets the fish to throw him up on the shore, literally, and uh, he does. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Um, doesn't really want these people to repent. Doesn't want them to change. Preaches a five-word sermon. Uh, on, planned on three days of preaching. He got a day into it. The whole city turned around and trusted God. Awesome response. Depending on who you believe, somewhere between 120,000 to 600,000 people. So bigger than Sioux City, bigger than Omaha, depending on the span and who you want to believe when you read the numbers. Um, you would think that God's prophet would be excited about that. Instead, he's mad because God spared his enemies. So when we last left Jonah, Jonah had made a, he was sitting on the hillside looking at the city waiting for God to destroy it. He had built him a little booth, which being a Jew and participating in a festival of booths every year, he would know how to do that. They'd take a bunch of sticks, they'd build him a little booth, they'd grab big leaves or palm fronds or whatever they could find, and they'd put it over top, make a little hut. Um, think of it as a, as a modern-day pup tent, if you will. And he's sitting there on the hillside overlooking Nineveh, waiting for God to destroy it. And that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning. So, with that in mind, uh, we're going to Jonah, oh, Jonah chapter 4. I've got to turn this on, guys. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, and here's what it said. This is where we last left him. It says, Jonah had gone out of, gone and out and sat down in a place east of the city, made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So, here's Jonah, picture him now sitting on the hillside, overlooking the city. He said God was going to destroy it. The people repented. 
He's upset. He wants God to wipe them out. He's sitting up there waiting for that to happen. In essence, Jonah's playing God here. It's like, God, you should wipe them out. They're our enemies. They don't like your people. They've caused us a bunch of grief. I think, God, you should wipe them out, and I'm sitting here waiting for you to do it. And so that's where we find it. So here's a question. If you're God, and your guy doesn't care about these people, and your guy is pouting, sitting up on a hillside, and your God, how do you deal with it? Because many of you have been brought up that when you are out of line with God, what does God do? He squashes you like a bug. Or he takes a baseball bat and hits you upside the head. I mean, God's man is out of line. How does God deal with him? Because you learn a lot of things about God in this passage. So I want you to just think about that for a second, because that's important. Because some of you, you need to reshape the way you see God and God's discipline in your life. But notice what God does. It says, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now, you don't realize it because we don't know Hebrew. But this verse is packed full of stuff. Okay, So let me try to unpack it for you a little bit. The Lord God. See that phrase? That's very interesting in the story. You know why? Because if you're a Jew, the word that you use for God is Jehovah or Yahweh, talking about that personal relationship with God. That's not the word used here. The word used here is Elohim. That's God as creator. So God kind of steps aside from his personal relationship with Jonah, and he's now going to show Jonah a different side of him. He's going to now come to Jonah as a creator. And notice what it says. He provides. Some of your translations will say prepare. This is the same word that's used when God prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. And you see in this passage over and over again, God preparing a lot of things. God prepares a fish. Um, God, in this instance, prepares a plant. Then you're going to see in a minute, he's going to prepare a worm. He's going to prepare the east wind. He's going to prepare the sun. God's going to get involved in all of these creative things. And it says that God provides a leafy plant, and it made it to grow up over Jonah and give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. God now doesn't squash him like a bug or hit him over the head with a baseball bat. God, in his goodness, brings comfort to Jonah. And Jonah was happy about the plant. If you could read this in the, land, in the original Hebrew, it, here's the idea. The idea is he is deliriously happy. He is like crazy happy. He's sitting there going, oh, God made me a plant. Oh, this is all good. The Lord, God, look at that leaf. Oh, thank you, God. You go, that's insane. That's the attitude. That's what this passage is conveying. That's what Jonah is saying. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. <clears throat> this is the first time in four chapters that Jonah has been happy. And what's he happy about? A plant. He gets thrown up out of the fish. Is it deliriously happy that he's now saved? No. 
The whole city turns to God. Is he deliriously happy? No, he's mad. The first time we see him happy is because of a plant. He's happy. Now, I want you to stop the story here before we go on. I want you to ask yourself something. If you're Jonah, you were mad because God was going to spare the city. You're now sitting at the top of the hill, wanting God to destroy the city, and it's hot. Average temperature in this area, 110 degrees. So, when you go outside today, okay, I want you to think about, and you'll understand Jonah better. Okay? So, when you go out there and you go, ah, oh, this is wonderful. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to be miserable, and you're going to see why. Jonah's miserable. See why he made a tent thing. See why the, he's so deliriously happy for the plant that grew up over his head. Okay? If you're Jonah... In your mind, God is saying, it's okay to be mad like you're mad. Because God, instead of hitting him upside the head, just squashing him like a bug, is blessing Jonah. And if God's blessing you, then what you're doing is okay, right? Isn't that what a lot of us believe? This is the danger. This is, one of, this is the danger. The New Testament says the goodness of God leads to repentance. Often when you and I do wrong, God still brings comfort and does things for us. This was the danger of the children of Israel. Remember, God delivered them from the Egyptians, and they gripe and they complain, and what does God do? He doesn't wipe them out and squash them like a bug. What does he do? He takes care of them. They're hungry, so he gives them manna. They're thirsty, he gives them water. Over and over again, God continually meets their needs until God comes to a point where he said, enough is enough. Because God was trying to be good to them to get them to turn to him, and instead, they turned away from him. And Jonah here, I'm sure, is sitting here thinking, you know what? Maybe God will wipe them out, because God's blessing me right now. So what does God do next? By the way, God has a purpose in all of this, okay? So don't, don't think that that, that God's being cruel. I mean, it seems like it is. But, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. So he's prepared a fish. He's prepared a leaf. Now he's prepared a worm. Which chewed the plant so that it withered. Those of you who raise corn, you know how you get in a, one of those corn things that get in and eat the stalk so that it... Um, corn borscht? Is that what they are? I am so proud of myself right now. Uh, <clears throat> I have no idea. Especially after being back in Chicago, I know what a corn borer is. But anyway, it, it, it eats away and it withers the plant. And here's what happened. It says, so that it withered, and when the sun rose, God provided, now, now God's going to send even more, a scorching east wind. Um, so there, there's a term for this in this area of the, of the world. Um, and basically what would happen, I think it's called... Uh, I'll say it wrong, so Sirocco or something like that. But basically what happens is um, the temperature goes up, the humidity goes down, a strong wind comes along, and it blows around these fine little particles of dust and ions and stuff like that, and it's just miserable to exist in. God provides a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed. Literally the word is pounded on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So he's got the plant. Get that? He's happy. And the plant goes away the next day. And then 
the wind comes up. And he's sitting in his little booth, what's left of it. And the sun starts beating down on his head. And notice what he says. He wanted to die. And he said, third time Jonah prays, second time Jonah's asked to, to die. First time he prayed, God save me. The next time he says, God, just take my life because I'm mad. Then the next time, which is here, he's like, God, take my life. It would be better for me to die than to live. Now, you know, again, we look at it sitting in an air-conditioned building going, I don't understand that. Go sit on a hill in 110 degrees for the next 40 days and tell me your attitude is, oh, ain't life grand. And he was happy when the plant came. Now, all of a sudden, he's not so happy. And he says, it is better for me to live than to die. Now, let's understand it. He's sitting there. He's mad at God. He had some relief. The relief is now gone. He now sits up there waiting for God to destroy the city. He's miserable. He's come to the end of his thing. He said, you know what? It'd just be better to call this whole thing off. I am done. Now, if you're God, what do you do to your servant at this point? Because this is amazing. You know what God does? He comes to him with a question. And notice what God says. He goes on. And by the way, this is how the book ends, which I think is fascinating. Um, in the next section, but here's what he says. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, you're mad because I took your plan away. Is that right, Jonah? Now, earlier, God had asked Jonah if it was right to be mad, and Jonah never answered. This time, Jonah answers. And he looks at God and he said, I am so angry, I wish I was dead. You bet. You took my plant away. That, is it just me, or doesn't that seem a little silly? You know what you're going to find out? What's sad is this is a reflection of just about every one of us sitting here this morning. Because we do the same thing. I'll get to that in a second. But notice what he says. I am so angry that I wish I was dead. So now God has to teach Jonah a lesson. So listen to what Jonah, listen to what God says. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the plant. You did not tend it or make it grow. In other words, Jonah, you didn't do one thing for that plant. It was all me. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? There's two interpretations of this. One is that the city had 120,000 people. And this is a spiritual metaphor about knowing right from wrong. The other, which I tend to favor, is this, what he's saying to Jonah is, Jonah, this is a city full of people, and you need to think about the 120,000 children right from their left hand. And also, many cattle. I think this is one of the saddest passages in the Bible. You know what God says to his servant? Jonah, 
I know you don't care about the people. I mean, you got deliriously happy over a plant. Jonah, you're sitting up here wanting me to wipe out all these people, but I have some, I, I'm interested in them, Jonah. I created them. I love them. I want them to repent and come to me, Jonah, even though you don't. And Jonah, if you don't care about those people, think about the children that would have died. And then, almost sarcastically, God said, Jonah, if you don't care about the people, and you don't care about the children, think about all the cattle that would have died. One writer said it this way, he loved a gourd more than he loved souls. He was more concerned about a plant than people. I think... It's my belief that if Jonah would have changed his attitude, God would have added the rest of the story. But this book ends right here. This book ends with God looking at his servant and saying, Jonah, if you don't care about the people and you don't care about the children, just think about all of the dogs and cats that would have died. Period. And it's sad. It's incredibly sad. But I think in this end of this chapter 4, there are some lessons for us in 2019 that are huge. I think you learn a whole bunch of things about the way God works and the way God deals with things. But I want, I want to focus on three things that, um, I want to get to the three things that I want us to focus on. Here's, the one, here's one. It is about the message, not the messenger. Okay. Entire city turns to God because Jonah did what God wanted him to do, period. Jonah's heart wasn't in it. Jonah just simply went, did what God said to do, then sits on a hillside, wants God to wipe him out. It's about the message, not the messenger. You see, one of the things this passage, one of the things that's fascinating about this passage is everything in this passage obeys God eventually, even Jonah. And God is involved in all of these things along the way to get his message across. Whether he's talking to Jonah and he uses a plant and a worm and wind and sun, or whether he's talking to Nineveh and he uses a servant of God who really doesn't even want to do what he's doing. It's the message. Here's what, here's what concerns me about us as country people. I think you underestimate the value and the impact that you can have. I think you look at it and you go, you know, well, you know what, there's other people who can, who can share Christ better than I can. There are other people who can go help that person who are better at it than I am. I mean, you know, I just don't have any training. God really can't use me. Time out. I don't mean this, I don't mean this to take a dig at you, but you know what this passage just taught us? That God can use a worm. Come on, you, got, you at least got that going for you, don't you? I mean, if God can use a worm, God can use you. If God can speak through a donkey, God can use you. See, it's about the message, and all we have to do is be willing to allow God to use us, and God will use us. You're like, well, what if I get it wrong? God won't let you get it wrong. 
Just like when the, when in, in, in the story of Balaam, he, that, that, no matter what it tried, it couldn't get the th- message wrong. God wants to use you. It's about the message. Our goal, our responsibility as Christians is to share the message of Christ with the lost world. And when we sit back and go, well, God can't use me because I'm just, you know, I mean, I've only been saved just a little bit and I just don't know that much Bible. I mean, if somebody asked me a question, I wouldn't have an answer. Well, awesome. Don't you get a little nervous when somebody's always got an answer for everything? Those are people I'm going to put a question mark beside. I don't want somebody that has all the answers. I want somebody who's genuine and sincere and real and it's from their heart. And God says, look, if you will let me use you, I will use you because it is about the message, not the messenger. And I can use, I can use a worm. I can use you. Just give me the chance. I guess a great lesson for us. Second lesson, this one's a whole lot harder. But it's one that I think we really, really need to wrestle with. And that's this. God is God and you're not. He didn't owe you an explanation for anything. God can do what he wants because he is God. And we're in this world where we think that we tailor everything to us. And we get this expectation. We're like Jonah. We're sitting on the hill saying, God, this is the way it ought to be, and I'm going to wait for you to do it this way because I want it this way. And I watch people that things come into their lives and they're like, God, how dare you do that to me? How dare you allow that into my life? I mean, come on, God, don't you know it's supposed to be a certain way? Just like Jonah, God, don't you know you're supposed to wipe out my enemies? You're not supposed to give them more time? And the irony is, Jonah experiences God's grace, and he is thrilled and deliriously happy when God is meeting his needs. But the second it goes the other way, he's mad. He's angry at God. God, how dare you allow that to happen to my life? How dare you take that away from me? How dare you, God, take that loved one? How dare you take my health? How dare you take my job? How dare you take that thing that you gave me? That's mine. I was happy about it. I enjoyed it. You have no right to take that from me. You're going, whoa. But isn't that not what we do? Is that not what we do? We start comparing our lives where we think God owes us X, Y, or Z. And I watch people say, well, God should do this for me because, I mean, I love him and I serve him and I'm trying to do what's right and therefore he should do this. What I don't find is people going, you know what? God, I demand that you treat me like you treat those third world country people. Take away my water. No, we're, we're always looking at somebody who has more or somebody who has a better or somebody that has a different, and we think that's what our standard should be, and that is what God owes us. And we're like Jonah. We want to be God. And we want to tell God how our life should be and the way everything should lay out for us. And when it doesn't, we get mad at him. We, we're just like Jonah. We take in his grace. Oh, God, thank you for the plant. The second the plant goes away, we're like, oh, God, just kill me now. And and when we have something in our life, listen, we have to learn to be like Job. 
who said, you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If I have it, great. And if I don't have it, great. He's still the same God. I'm going to serve him no matter what. It's not about what he does for me. And this is what, this is what God's trying to teach Jonah. Jonah, look, I'm God. You're not. And you've got to realize this. And I see this so often in life where people go along and when things are great, they're all loving and serving God. But the second something goes south, and, and I understand, I'm not saying you can't ever get angry at God. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. I understand that we have expectations. I understand that that stuff goes. But listen, when we make that a pattern of our life, we're no different than Jonah sitting on a hillside being happy about a plant. And I think it's hard for us sometimes to step back and say, you know what? God has a right to do what God wants to do. And I just want him to use me. And that's important. Um, this past weekend, this was really driven home hard to me. And we had 38 kids. That, I, I went to a Christian high school. Um, in ninth grade, my parents moved me into a Christian school when we were in Detroit, Michigan. When we transferred to Detroit my, or Chicago my senior year, I went to a Christian school just my senior year there in Chicago. Graduated 38 kids. Um, out of those 38, I would say probably 75% are still loving, serving God, wherever God has them. And it was incredible to be able to be with those kids, uh, a number of those kids. Um, one of the kids, uh, Stacy, I didn't know Stacy really well in school. We've been friends on Facebook for the last couple of years, and I've kind of followed him a little bit. Stacy got out of school, went to work for the, uh, went, to, went to the U.S. Navy in the military, retired after 20 years serving in the U.S. Navy. Um, then got a job as a, a contractor, um, got another couple of years, and then he'll retire um, with two pensions, which is an awesome idea. Uh, but um, Stacy came to a reunion, which was kind of a surprise to a lot of us because Stacy lost his wife three months ago. Um, so I got to spend a little time talking to Stacy. We were walking the river, walking in Naperville, and so he was just sharing his story and his journey and stuff like that. And um, Stacy showed up. Um, there's a couple more elements to the story. Stacy's brother had already lost his wife. Younger brother had lost his wife. And the irony was Stacy and his wife had a special needs child who now he has to take care of because she was taking care of him. And as I listened to Stacy tell me his story, you know. He said, you know, he said, I thought really long and hard about coming to the reunion. But I thought about, you know, um, my wife and I would have come, and she would have loved to have been here. And so I have just decided as I go forward that I'm going to try to do the things that she and I would have done. And even though it's hard, I know that I have to move forward. And we talked about how God is using it in his life and how God is using it in the lives of other people. Then I ended up with Gary Moore. Um, Gary and I were actually in college together, too. Um, Gary's an actor. He's been on um, uh, that Netflix series, House of Cards. And um, he does voiceover work, uh, basically how he makes a living. And Gary, you know, I mean, you know, all his Facebook posts are with famous actors that he's with and stuff like that or meets and this kind of thing. So I asked Gary, he said, how's the voiceover thing going on? And he goes, I don't care 
He said it's a way to pay bills anymore. Last year, Gary was diagnosed with a rare blood disease. Um, went through extensive chemotherapy and actually survived. So at this point, cancer-free. Um, and Gary said, you know, he said, the one thing is, he said, it's changed me completely. He said, the things were important before aren't important anymore. He said, now, he said, when I get an audition, and while we were in Chicago, they asked him to audition for a Netflix series called um, um, Better Call Saul. And um, he said, you know, I, I just told him I wasn't interested. And, and he said, because what's happened is, he said, I have a different passion now. He said, I want to spend time with my, kid, my grandkids. And he said, and I'm working. I said, well, what do you think God's doing in all of this? And he said, well, he said, I have a passion now for dealing with cancer survivors and acting and trying to tie the two together. He said, everything's changed for me. You know, one of those guys could sit back and say, God, why? They praised God before. They did their best to honor God during. And now they're still serving God after. You see, they decided that God's God, they're not. And they're going to make the best of it. And you praise God in the good, you praise God in the bad. And I think that's, a, I think that's such an important lesson here. Because I think we forget that. And we have to understand that God is God. We are not. He doesn't owe us an explanation. I think there's coming a day we'll understand it perfectly. But I don't think we'll understand it on this side of the planet. Because we're, we're, like Jonah, we're like Jonah. We sit up there with our little narrow view of God that we want our enemies judged or we want it to happen this way. And God's setting up with this great big picture of these are people I created. I've got a vested interest in these people. And if I need to give them a little more time to turn to me, I'm willing to do that, Jonah. I don't have your narrow view. I'm looking at a whole lot more than you because, and this is the last thing, God's concerned about people. And that's his burden. That's his heart. God was looking at the whole people of Nineveh. In fact, what's crazy is God's even concerned for the animals that would have died here. And Jonah wasn't. And I think sometimes we forget that the things that God allows into our lives that we see as bad, and, and I'm not saying they're not bad, but we in our culture look at it as bad. God's using for something bigger. Jonah was sitting on a hillside all focused on his comfort, deliriously happy when God gives him a plant. But when God takes it away, He's mad because God's, what God was doing, God wasn't trying to be cruel. Here's what God was doing. God was trying to show Jonah, Jonah, look. Think about the Ninevites. My grace to them gives them a little more time. It gives them the same reprieve that you got from the plant. But when I judge and when that plant gets, goes away, it's not pleasant, Jonah. And when I judge these people, it won't be pleasant. So I am more than willing to give them more time to turn to me. And he had to illustrate that to Jonah, so Jonah got it. And he ends this book. Like I say, I think it's one of the saddest endings. In, in, you know, everybody, there's all kinds of writers. They have all kinds of ideas why God ended it this way. But God ends it by basically saying, Jonah, think of all the animals that would have died. If you don't care about people. 
There are people that you rub shoulders with this week that you see face to face, eyeball to eyeball, that God's concerned about. He's more concerned about them. Your focus may be on your stuff, on your things, on your job, on your career, on whatever. God's concerned about them. And God cares about them. He created them. He wants them with them in eternity. And he wants you and I to share that message with them. But if we all we're focused on is our comfort, then we forget how much we have to be grateful for. You know, I was thinking about that this morning. I don't, I, I, I don't want to minimize what you're going through. But can I put what you're going through in a little bit bigger picture for you for a few minutes? Whatever it is you're going through this morning, do, do you understand? That you, want to know this, you want to know what the issue to the immigration problem is in the United States right now? People want to come to this country. Period. They want to be here. And they're trying to get in here any way they can. You know why? Because this is the greatest place in the world to live. And you and I were birthed into it, or, or we, we came into it when, when we did the, the uh, you know what I mean, uh, immigration thing. And we had people here who have gotten their legal status as citizens, and they've worked hard for it. And, and, and these are, we have a whole group of the world that wants to get in here. And you and I get to enjoy it every day, and we don't even think about it. You don't think about the idea that this morning we're sitting in a room where I decided what temperature I wanted the building to be. And you're going to get into a car and you're going to fight with your spouse if you're married over that's too cold, that's too hot, that's too... And, and some of you have got cars that actually have separate control units for the sides of the cars. And you're going to go home to a place where... You don't have to sit in the 110 degrees heat. You're going to walk into a place that has a roof over it so you don't have the sun beating down on your head. And you're going to go to a refrigerator. Travel the world and find out how rare it is to have access to ice. And you're going to go to, some of you are going to walk up to a refrigerator and just take the cup and push it and ice is going to drop out. And you're like me, you have one of those coffee makers where you just go pick a pod and you can have any kind of flavor in the world you want within three minutes. And some of you, most of us, are going to walk to a refrigerator that's full of food. We're going to pick what we want to eat today. And we're going to make whatever we want to eat. And then we're going to, we're going to tomorrow, we're going to get up and we're going to go to a job which actually pays us to do something. We don't have to figure out what we're going to do to pay for food tomorrow. We already know. We've got a job. For some of you, you're fortunate enough that you were able to actually work at a place and put money aside so that you don't have to work as you get older. And, and, and for some of you, what's so amazing is, you know, you can gripe and argue all you want about our health care system. But the reality of it is there are so many things we can fix today in our country. And even for people who, have, who we can't fix, we actually bring people in and say, we're going to comfort you so that you don't have to end your life in pain. And we're going to make this process as painless as possible for you. 
you're not going to lie in some hut screaming until you take your last breath because you're in so much agony and pain? I'm not saying feel guilty for what you have. I do not feel guilty for what I have. For whatever reason, God in His grace and mercy has backed up a truck and dumped stuff on me. And He has given me more than I could ever deserve or earn or do whatever. He has been incredibly gracious to me. I'm not saying feel guilty for it. But I beg you, don't gripe and complain because it's not enough. Otherwise, you're just like Jonah, who when it's going great, you're deliriously happy. But when all of a sudden something tough or rough or not so wonderful comes into your life, you're mad because you want more. We don't want to be those kind of people. And I, I just want to challenge you because, listen, we have so much, so much to be grateful for. Because God's grace has been shown to us and demonstrated to us. We want to take that and share that with the world. And that's my challenge. That's my challenge. So I end this morning with this. We must learn to allow God to use us. Just as everything in this book obeys God, so we obey God in our lives. God is God. We are not. We must trust that His ways are best and are ultimately designed for His glory, His purposes, His plan, and not necessarily our comfort. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Lord, we have been given so much that we get to the point, Lord, we just, we take it for granted, we expect it. And Lord, we don't want to be those type of people. So Lord, help us to be grateful for what we have been given. Lord, none of us could deserve or earn or find enough favor with you to, 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 to have these kind of blessings given to us because of something we did. For whatever reason, Lord, you have given us much. So help us to be good stewards of it. Help us to be able to share with others the grace of God that's been given to us. And Lord, use us this week. Lord, for those here this morning that don't think you can use them, would you help them to understand you can? It's about the message. For those that, Lord, are more concerned or content with being comfortable, would you help them to understand that, Lord, you see a bigger picture? And, Lord, when it is all said and done, when we gather around your throne, may we rejoice in the other folks that have been able to experience your grace and your goodness because of our influence in their lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.